This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's three stories of threes with the three bears, the three little pigs, and Cinderella. You'll see why you want to go with that more expensive house option, because going cheap could end up actually costing you an arm and a leg, even more if your neighbor is a hungry wolf. On the Creature of the Week, if you're starting to wonder if your really old, really overweight cat is a mythological creature, it might be a good hint if she starts talking to you about inviting her undead friends over. This is Myths and Legends, Episode 84, The Rule of Three. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's episode is brought to you by Spotify. Love our show? Well, did you know you can listen to it on Spotify while still enjoying your favorite tunes? It's easy. Just look for the podcast section within the Browse tab on your mobile device or search for your favorite shows. To find more podcasts, head to spotify.com slash podcasts. There are episodes of this podcast that are serious episodes for serious people. This is not one of those episodes. If you've heard many of the fairy tale episodes on here, you'll know that they're obsessed with threes. Pretty much any Slavic story I've told has the characters dealing with some variation of that number. There's Rumpelstiltskin, Snow White, the Enchanted Pig, Bluebeard, and the list goes on. It pops up over and over and over again. We really don't know why. It could be that it's just a really great technique for structuring and remembering stories, as many of these were oral tales before they were written down. It could work to build suspense, having the hero try and fail, or having the villain return again and again. It's a very common thing in folklore. On to the stories today. I don't know why I was surprised, but even the stories of the three little pigs and the three bears are different than our collective ideas of them today. They hit a lot of the same points as we know, but the details are different and, at times, bizarre. The bears still have an intruder show up, but she is no Goldilocks. And the bears? Well, the bears are just three great bear buddies, trying to make the world a better place. And the three little pigs is shockingly violent, and a great example of why you should question any invitation to go strawberry picking. We'll start with the three little pigs and a short bit of poetry that I'm hoping will now get the respect it deserves. We start this story off with the verse that actually begins the original printed version. Once upon a time when pigs spoke rhyme and monkeys chewed tobacco, the hens took snuff to make them tough, and ducks went quack, quack, quacko. I have no idea what that means. What I do know is that an old sow had three little pigs. She gathered them together one morning to give them some hard news. Unfortunately, she didn't have enough money to keep them, and so she was sending them out to seek their fortune. So we're homeless? One little pig asked his mom. Well, no. She was sending them out to seek their fortune. It was a fun quest thing. Not a sad thing where cute pigs didn't have a home. But we don't have a home anymore. The pig pressed. Well, yes, that is correct. The sound nodded. It kind of sounds like you're spinning it to soften the blow. This is actually terrifying. The mom acted shocked and told them that couldn't be farther from the truth, despite it absolutely being the truth. As she scooted them out the door, she told them to try to learn some valuable skills. The cat or herd sheep or make friends with spiders. They heard the barn door slam behind them 
and looked out across the wide world beyond the farm. The pigs decided it was best to split up, each having strong opinions about architecture, as we will come to see. No, no, you can't build a house out of straw, the farmer said to the first little pig. You just can't. But you're a super sad, down-in-your-luck pig literally carrying a bindle, so sure, whatever, you can have some straw. The pig had passed a farmer carrying straw to the market on his way home from the farm, Seeing as one type of building material was exactly the same as other types of building materials, the pig had pleaded with the farmer until the farmer parted with a few bales. Later on that day, the pig heard an unlikely pounding on his even unlikelier door that shook on its flat-out impossible straw hinges. The pig peered through his straw peephole to see a wolf salivating and asking to come in. With a sigh, the pig quietly replied with the iconic line, not by the hair on my chinny-chin-chin. The wolf replied that he would huff and puff and blow the pig's house in, obviously proud of the rhyme, and then he asked if straw actually kept out predators, to which the pig replied that, yeah, he was pretty sure it did. The wolf huffed and puffed and blew the house in. Pieces of straw drifted to the ground as the pig stood there, staring the wolf square in the face. The beast was salivating and said, no, no, it did not keep predators out. In a panic, the pig tried to run, but the wolf lunged, catching him by the leg. He sank his claws into the pig's fleshy back, and though the pig squealed for a moment, soon his blood covered the straw that had been his home, while the wolf feasted on his remains. And yeah, the pig died. Badly. This is a fairy tale put down to paper in the 1800s. Of course the pig doesn't live. Cut to the following day, when the next pig heard a similar pounding on the door while his house of sticks shook all around him. He, too, had run into a very charitable merchant, who gave him all the supplies for a stick house. It was the best he could do. And as he and the wolf shot adversarial rhymes back and forth, he prayed it would hold. Moments later, as the wolf ate the remainder of the pig, the wolf wondered if he could be related to the one from the previous day, given the chin hair bit. The wolf thought and looked around, but shrugged when he saw that he had already eaten the pig's chin so he couldn't see how hairy it actually had been. Oh well, next time. And next time came the very next day, when the wolf thudded into a house. Well, more accurately, into the side of a house. He nursed his bloody nose and demanded to know who owned this house. A voice answered from inside the house. Another pig? He demanded the pig let him in. Of course, the pig replied that, Why? Why would he do that? Not only was the wolf a predator, but he was a rude predator. Also chinny-chin-chin chin and all that. The wolf warned that he was going to blow it down. And the pig said, well, good luck. It's a brick house. And he was insured, so, you know, go nuts. The pig smiled, listening to the wolf huff and puff so much that the predator had to sit down and rest. Like his late brothers, the pig had encountered a material handler on the road. He, too, had convinced that person to give him all the materials necessary to construct a house. Now, sticks and straw are one thing, but him just getting a full house made of bricks for free is a bit much. It wasn't that he got a mortgage from a sketchy lender that had way too high of a rate because he had no down payment and was a pig. Nope, he just got all the materials for free and built the house in a few days. When the wolf had finally caught his breath, he took a step back, paused on his hips, 
as he studied the surprising architectural integrity of the third house. Hey, you pig friend, he shouted through the brick. Let's go pick some strawberries together. Really? The third pig replied. He pointed out the very accurate point that the wolf had just tried to eat him. Oh, wow, no. You thought I was trying to eat... No. Oh, that's cute. See, that's just a fun joke we play in newcomers here. It's like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm going to destroy your house, murder you, and eat your corpse. It's an old tradition. Anyway, we're just too soon to be best friends, having a little fun. The wolf sensed the pig hesitating. But then he came around. He would like to have a friend. It was hard to move into a new neighborhood and meet people as an adult pig. Yeah. Yeah, he would like to go pick strawberries with his natural predator. He just needed to finish some stuff around the house, and then he would be ready. Let's say an hour. The wolf groaned. Ugh, he was hungry now. The pig replied that the strawberries would taste all the sweeter after the anticipation. The wolf said yes. The strawberries. That's what he was talking about, and went to find something to do for an hour. The wolf was a few minutes late in returning, and saw the door shut. Hey man, you ready? The wolf asked and the pig shouted back that he was actually lying down for a nap. He was tired. He actually just got back from the strawberry patch. The wolf was nonplussed. They were going to do that together. The pig said that he didn't think the wolf would mind. The wolf took out his phone and pulled up the pig's Instagram, and yeah, sure enough, pictures from the strawberry patch. He played it off like it didn't mean anything, but he was angry that he couldn't kill the pig, and also felt a little rejected. He said that it was no big deal. But would the pig want to go to the fair later, in town? Absolutely, the pig said. How's three hours from now? The wolf agreed and said that he would be back in three hours to pick up the pig. Once the pig was sure the wolf was gone, he left for the fair. With all the money the pig had, somehow, he bought a big cauldron at the fair and was dragging it toward the house when he saw the wolf waiting outside. Not to be fooled again, the wolf had stopped by early to get the pig, but the pig wasn't answering. Looking down from the hill, the pig could see that he was in trouble. The wolf probably wouldn't leave, and he couldn't get back into the safety of his house. He looked at the downhill path to his new house, and at the wolf waiting next to the door, and he knew what he had to do. As he sat on the wall of the pig's house, the wolf was surprised to see a giant cauldron rolling down the hill. Then he realized it was coming right for him. He yelped and bolted to a safe distance as he watched the cauldron clang against the sturdy brick house. Immediately, the shaken but alive pig crawled out, scrambled to unlock his door, and dragged the cauldron inside. And not a moment too soon, as the wolf came running back, just in time to have the door smack him in the muzzle. As he held his nose, bleeding for the second time that day, he told the pig that the pig had probably caught on, but he was definitely trying to eat him. Yeah, I guess that almost immediately came the reply. The wolf informed the pig that it was going to happen. So if the pig could just put an apple in his mouth and settle down on a nice plate of garnish, the wolf would be in soon. But the pig didn't reply. He had work to do. It took the wolf a long time to think of a way in, and even longer to climb his way down the chimney. He looked down into the darkness. He could only see a faint light at the bottom. It was a tight, extremely claustrophobic fit but he could think of nothing but that delicious raw pork at the bottom. Lowering himself into the chimney, the wolf began inching down, bracing himself on the brick walls. But then he noticed something. 
The walls were greased. Realizing his mistake, the wolf scrambled to catch his grip and climb out of the chimney, but he was too late. He fell, claws scraping down the brick as he went, right into the cauldron of boiling water. Thanks for dropping in for dinner, the pig punned as the wolf raced toward either drowning or boiling to death in the cauldron. The pig held down the lid, and it jolted as the wolf pounded from the other side, crying through the water to let him out. But the pig stood there stone-faced. The wolf would not have hesitated at all to tear him to pieces, so the pig wouldn't waver now. Soon, the house fell silent, and the pig went to the counter to get some onions, garlic, and various vegetables. And yeah, he ate the wolf. Ate him. Yeah, you don't mess with a third little pig. Other early versions of the story named the pigs, and I kid you not, Brownie, Whitey, and Blackie. I chose not to use those names for obvious reasons. In that version, they had a house of cabbage and a house of mud instead of sticks and straw. The middle story is a quick one, mainly because in an episode about threes, you can't just have two stories. But that will be right after this. I've received a lot of requests for the grim Cinderella tale, and if you're wanting to hear that, you should know that that super famous version is waiting on the member feed. So today, we're not going to be talking about the grim version. We're going to be talking about the version that scooped Grimm, meant really all the others, collected by our very recent friend, Jean-Baptiste Basile. We covered two of his stories a couple weeks back, the stories of the flayed woman and the enchanted doe. Well, he also had possibly the earliest written Western version of Cinderella. Remember, the true earliest version was the Chinese version we talked about in episode 42. In this one, the Basile one, Cinderella, called Zazola, has a wonderful mother who dies. As though that isn't terrible enough, Zazola finds herself with a female tutor who's looking to date in general, but more specifically, she's got eyes for Zazola's dad. Unfortunately, dad is very recently off the market, having already remarried. This time, however, he's managed to find a horrible woman who treats Zazola like dirt. The tutor takes in the situation and sighs. It's looking like she won't be able to seduce the guy. After all, she respects the institution of marriage. So, it's on to plan B. Recruit Zazola to murder her new stepmother, and then put in a good word for the tutor. And Zazola does just that. One day, Zazola asks her stepmother to help pick out a dress. And then, oops, the chest lid drops hard on the stepmother's fragile neck. Suddenly, it's just a matter of trying to hook up her dad with her tutor, but tastefully, of course, so she waits until after the funeral. Well, as it turns out, good people don't have other people killed so that they can marry their spouses, and as soon as the tutor marries the king, she turns on Zazola in a move she never saw coming. Oh, and also she has six daughters of her own. Suddenly, Zazola's situation has become even worse than before. Her new stepmother and stepsister start forcing her to do all the work, waiting on them hand and foot. Eventually, she picks up the nickname Cinderella Cat. But before you get too excited, she's not an actual cat. Well, in true fairy tale fashion, the father sets off on a long trip to Sardinia and asks if his daughters desire anything from his travels. 
birthday, of course, all ask for your standard insufferable evil stepsister stuff. But Cinderella Cat thoughtfully asks for whatever the dove of the fairies of Sardinia might bring to her. To which the father replies, Okay, that's very difficult. So, whatever's at the gift shops, the docks for you. Got it. Of course, being the excellent father figure that he is, Dad completely forgets poor Cinderella Cat and almost leaves for home without her gift. The elements themselves apparently don't have a problem with premeditated, cold-blooded murder because even the wind refuses to move until the father remembers, oh right, my only biological daughter. He goes to the grotto of the fairies and asks for anything for his daughter and they return with a date tree. Here's where things get a bit closer to the grim version because the date tree, when planted, grows to the size of a woman in four short days, conveniently just in time for the king's big feast. And lo and behold, a fairy steps out from its trunk. It turns out that Cinderella Cat really wants to go to this feast, but it's not looking like it's going to work out until she finds herself with a magnificent dress. And, well, you know how that goes. She's there at the feast, dancing with the king, but has to get back home before the family notices she's gone. She bolts, and the king sends some servants rushing after her but Cinderella Cat reaches into her pocket and pulls out some coins. She tosses the gold coins onto the ground, and the servant, who is clearly not getting paid enough to chase down young women, stops to grab them, letting Cinderella Cat get away. The next night, it's the same scenario, except now she's found pearls in her dress to distract slash bribe the same servant again. On the final night, yes, that third night, see, threes, we connected it, the king himself follows Zola, but she escapes leaving that lost shoe behind. Since the banquet hall was already decorated, the king holds another feast, demanding that all the women in the land come try on that lost shoe. In the end, that footwear caveat is just confirmation, because he recognizes Cinderella Cat the moment he sees her. And there, before the stunned former tutor and her six daughters, the king marries Cinderella Cat. Like Basile's stories a few weeks ago, there isn't divine justice for the sisters. They got off really easy, compared to the grim version. In that one, a lot of other stuff happens, but the sisters try to trick the king. Their feet are too big to fit the shoe, so they try to make them smaller by lopping off a few toes with a knife. The king is alerted by a magic bird to look down at their feet, and he sees all the blood. Not content with that much mutilation, the sisters in the grim version limp to Cinderella's wedding, where they watch in despair as their mistreated sister marries the king. But... They only watch for so long because birds fly down from the sky to peck out their eyes. The last story for today is that of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Except without Goldilocks, she wasn't even in the original. Instead, we meet a deeply disturbed woman who just escaped from jail. And the story starts with the three bears eating their breakfast together as roommates and best friends. Little Bear licked his paw, took a long draw from his pipe, and turned the page of his book. He paused with a smile, looking up at his two friends, Big Bear and Middle Bear. Hey guys, I just want to say that you two are the best bear friends that a bear could ever ask for, he beamed. Right back at you, bud. 
You guys are great roommates and even better friends, Big Bear said, before taking a drink of his ale. What he said, Middle Bear piped up with a nod of his head. You guys are the very best. The room stopped dead. How many times do I have to say this? We're not doing the bear pun thing, Little Bear said. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was inappropriate, Middle Bear said to zero laughs. Middle Bear, seriously, it's cheesy. And if we start him with the bear puns, we'll never get through the story, Big Bear said as he stood. Clearly tired of having this conversation. Jeez, guys, okay, I'll stop. You don't have to be grizzly bears about it. All right, well, on that note, I'm out, Big Bear announced to his buddies, tapping his pipe on the table to shake the excess ashes loose. Who wants to go for a walk and talk about which charities we're going to donate our excess bear income to? The roommate bears raised their paws, and the three friends stood up from the table and left the remainder of their porridge for when they returned. Little Bear led the way. Hey, did you lock the door? He asked. Big Bear swiped the air with his paw. Why? Who would rob three best friends living out in the forest, minding their own business? Besides, if anyone wanted anything from us, we would just give it to them. I mean, our comfort isn't more important than helping out our fellow creatures, you know? Little Bear thought about it. You're the best, he said with a grin. No, you're the best, buddy. Big Bear laughed, patting Little Bear's shoulder. No, you're both the best. Middle Bear chimed in. Now let's get walking, guys. Just three best friends living together in the woods, helping people, going for walks, smoking pipes and eating porridge. Doesn't get much better than this, Little Bear said, as they started off on their daily walk to try to figure out how to make the world a better place. Oh my gosh, those guys, Silverhair said to herself as she watched the bears leave. She'd been watching them for most of the morning. Just last night, she had escaped from jail, but not before learning about the bears that lived nearby who were very easy marks. Skeptical, she had spied on them from the woods all morning. Sure, they seemed like they would give to anyone who stopped by, but then again, they were also bears. So she figured cleaning them out while they were out on a walk was easier. Silverhair waited until bear conversation faded into the forest before trying the door and, yep, they really did leave it unlocked. She flung it open and surveyed the house. It was a nice little cottage. The three bears in the original story were not Mama Bear, Papa Bear, and Baby Bear, as has been the case in subsequent retellings, but simply three full-grown male bears of various sizes living together. As I hope you gathered, the three bears are the nicest bears you'll ever meet. Well, that's an admittedly low bar, but they are friendly, caring, and thoughtful. They would have given the evil old woman the shirts off their back, had she asked, and if they wore shirts. They didn't lock their door because they couldn't imagine going into another house and stealing. So how could it happen to them? Well, silver hair is how it happened to them. She walked in and was immediately put off by the niceness of the whole place. She gathered a bunch of apples in her clothes and spit on the rest. She propped her feet up on the couch and then rubbed her muddy shoes all over the cushions. She rubbed their pipes in places one does not want their pipes rubbed, and that's when she saw the leftover porridge. Consistent with later versions, the intruder went to Big Bear's bowl and took a heaping spoonful, burned her mouth, and when the profanity finally died down, the vandalism began. She trashed Big Bear's place at the table and moved on to Middle Bear's. Though it wasn't as hot, it was still profanity-laced violent tirade hot, and soon she found herself at Little Bear's place. That porridge was just right, and so she ate it all. Having finished, she flung Little Bear's spoon out the window, let him go look for it in the woods. Silverhair looked at Little Bear's fancy upholstered chair, 
But then she remembered landing in a cow pie that morning after diving over a fence. What better place to scrape it off than Little Bear's chair? A few minutes in, she noticed that it was getting a bit wobbly, and soon it collapsed on the floor beneath her. She kicked and swore, then picked up a chair leg like a bat, and then began smashing anything and everything breakable she saw. The stairs caught her eye, and she hustled to the second floor. There, she saw the bear's beds, and at first she tried to climb atop Big Bear's bed, but the sides were too high, and she couldn't find a good foothold. Frustrated, she moved on to the next bed, leaving mudstains smeared on the comforter and bed skirt from her dress and boots. Little Bear's bed was nice, but still a little big. So after she finished wiping her shoes on his pillow, she went on to the smallest bed. She already liked Little Bear's home decor downstairs, and his bed upstairs was no exception. Now, I don't profess to be a master criminal, or even a criminal, but it seems like the first rule of breaking and entering is not to take a nap on the job. Still, Silverhair had been running all night after escaping the hangman's noose. She was tired, and word on the street was that bear walks lasted hours. Ten minutes to rest her eyes would leave more than enough time to finish trashing this bear house and carry off anything of value. Three hours later, the bears arrived back home with a bag of produce from a nearby farmer's market. The moment they entered the front door, they gasped, dropping everything onto the floor. Each bear rushed to a different scene. Big Bear stared at his broken porridge bowl. Little Bear ran to what was left of his favorite chair. And Middle Bear to a soiled couch. Why would anyone do this? This is unbearable, Middle Bear yelled. Not the time, Middle Bear, Big Bear boomed. Guys, it's not... It wasn't intended, sorry, Middle Bear explained. Guys, guys, you're going to want to see this. Little Bear broke in, nearly tumbling down the stairs. Ah, oh, there's filth all over my side of the bed. Who would do this? Big Bear said, unable to fathom what he was seeing. Middle Bear had the same reaction, looking at what was smeared all over his pillow. Little Bear stopped them. Look, she was still here. Storing in Little Bear's bed in the corner of the room lay an old woman, her lice already infesting his pillow and linens. Silverhair, the woman, obviously didn't hear the bear's gruff snorts all around her, and Big Bear took his paw and shook her awake. When he did, she shrieked and looked for her only escape, a window right next to the bed. With a brief smirk, she dove out, forgetting completely that she was on the second floor. She landed on her neck, falling hard into the cobblestone road leading up to the house. The bears gasped and ran to the window, each squeezing to see the scene below. Oh no. Is she moving? She's not moving, guys. I just wanted to talk. You guys just wanted to talk, right? Of course. Oh my gosh. What do we even do? Should we move her? I read that we shouldn't move people with a spinal injury. If someone was somehow eavesdropping in this conversation hundreds of years from now, no, you shouldn't move people you suspect have a back or neck injury. Big Bear said, but as we all know but haven't talked about yet today, Middle Bear is two years into his residency at Harvard for Bears, so we're okay. Silverhair was unconscious but alive when they reached her, and Dr. Middle Bear directed a makeshift stretcher. She had a broken neck, following diving from a second-story window and landing on her neck, and it was a race against the clock to get her to the hospital. Several minutes later, they rounded the corner into the village and almost ran smack into the constable. The bear trio explained that they had found someone in their house when they returned, 
but she was so scared that they were going to bite her or whatever normal bears do that she dove straight out the window. Middle Bear had immobilized her neck, and now they were going to talk to the town doctor. The constable looked down at the stretcher and chuckled. He knew this one. She had escaped the night before, and the only place she was going was back to jail. He motioned to the other officers to come and grab the stretcher, and they did, while the stunned bears watched her disappear around the corner. When they finally realized she wasn't going to get help, and that she was going back to jail, Little Bear spoke up. Look, we're not pressing charges, we just want to make sure she's okay. That's not how fairy tale justice works, my friend. But don't worry, she'll get exactly what she deserves. And he told the bears that they were free to go. The bears, quite confused, walked the long road back to their house to pick up the pieces of their humble home. They didn't care about the stuff for the house right now. They just hoped that poor, troubled old woman got the help she needed. To be honest, I made some changes. The dialogue, for one, hopefully was obvious, though the bears are supposed to be these super kind, upstanding citizens, who are also bears. Also, in the original story, the original story ends after Silverhair dives out the window, leaving the bears asking whether she broke her neck or she went to the local prison. Not sure how those are related. As I mentioned at the top, the story now known as Goldilocks and the Three Bears actually began without Goldilocks. Silverhair's replacement was gradual. The named character of Goldilocks was likely an American edition in the late 1800s, during a time when folk tales were shifting from adult to child audiences. Obviously, these stories are much older than the dates they were published, with this one being published in the 1830s. Here, we see the moral changing from a warning to adults not to steal from nice people, or else you could end up in prison or with a broken neck or both, to a warning to small children to not go into strangers' houses. And finally, Middle Bear was not a doctor bear. I made him such that they could responsibly move Silverhair after her accident. And unfortunately, there's no medical school at Harvard for bears. It closed down in 1979 for lack of funding. week, it's one of my favorite stories that I found for this podcast. It's a story from Slavic folklore, about two brothers, a dwarf with a magic beard, and a kidnapping that includes all-you-can-eat cake. You might know this, but we have a store for myths and legends. We're restocking shirts, getting some new ones, and since we've received a lot of requests about stickers, we now have a little swag bag. It has four different stickers, including a Buttercat one, one pin, and the 10 Rules of Myths and Legends postcard. You can find it at mythpodcast.com slash store. There's also a membership thing on the site. For the price of two and a half DJ Pizza Cat throw pillow covers, it's a cat DJing in space on a record made of pizza, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of this show that really should include more cats DJing on pizza records. I've really dropped the ball on that one. And for that, I apologize. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for the membership. And sadly, no DJ Pizza Cat. creature this time is the Bakaneko. It's Monster Cat from Japan. We've talked about this before, but things in Japan, if they get very old, can sometimes earn superpowers. Cats, apparently, are no exception. If your cat gets really old, it might turn into a Bakaneko, but that's not the only precursor. If you feed your cat too much, and it gets over 12-ish pounds, or it laps up lamp oil, it can also run the risk of turning into a monster cat. You might say that you love your cat, so what's so bad about it being able to shapeshift, grow to human size, 
talk to you and live forever. Well, apparently, everything. I've long been of the opinion that if they thought they could win, cats would turn against us all in a heartbeat. Well, the Bakaneko confirms that. Once they gain superpowers and learn our language, they enjoy eating their masters, shape-shifting, and then taking their places. If you notice that your friend that had a really old cat now has really strong opinions about which rodents taste the best and is really into catnip, you might have a Bakaneko on your hands. These creatures are just a really unpleasant source of destruction for you in your life. Even if they don't manage to eat you, you might kind of wish they had. They can call down ghostly fireballs. And if someone is calling down ghostly fireballs, it's rarely for a safe and good reason. The tips of their tails act like a flame and they can accidentally set your house on fire. And if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, they've got you covered because they'll bring some new friends around in the form of corpses they've reanimated and are using as smelly, nasty puppets. There's one way to stop your cat from turning into a bacaneco. They say exceptionally long tails are a sign your cat could turn into a cat monster. So apparently this resulted in a custom of bobbing tails of cats at a young age for protection. It seems like that's probably going too far, but if your cat starts talking to you and brings over a small army of reanimated corpses to finally catch that laser pointer, it might be a good time to call the vet. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>